You're listening to episode 49 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about fear and where true safety comes from. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, crazy humans. How is life treating you these days? You know, I had all these really cool kind of uh, Facebook memories pop up from years ago when my now husband and I were dating and we did a trip to West Africa. And I had just gone to like as needed work as a midwife. I used to be a full-time nurse midwife and um, I was transitioning to my coaching practice. So I was only working as needed to cover vacations and whatnot. And it was a lot of crazy shifts going on in a super exciting time. So anyway, I'm looking at these pictures and I realized I have had the most epic adventures when my safety was at risk. <laughs> this photo that we used for this podcast episode, it's of me and my now husband in 2012 in the Sahara Desert. And we had taken a cargo boat, which is supposed to be a cargo boat, so not supposed to have people on it. So it was fully loaded. Plus, it had a group of men and women, and this is a Muslim country, so the men were in the front and the women were in the back by the diesel engine, which was hella loud, by the way, um, and it was way overloaded, right? And I mean, literally, it was inches from taking on water. <laughs> so anyway, we were on that boat for three days on the Niger River to Timbuktu. Yes, Timbuktu actually exists. I was so excited. It was the like most amazing adventure. And they actually, because my husband Ty was not Muslim, they actually let him come to the back with me. So he was the only man allowed to be back there with me. And so here he was hanging out with me and all these like amazing, amazing um, women from Mali. Anyway, so Timbuktu was the most amazing place and the center of like, for for hundreds of years, the center of art and music and science. People traveled from all over the world to come there and learn astronomy and mathematics and other sciences. And in fact, there was an annual music festival that drew the most talented musicians. The older one was called Temakanit and later Festival and the last time that festival happened was in 2011, right before we had arrived. So anyway, I'm looking at this photo and we look just so cool and so in love and like we're just like driving through the desert. But what's not apparent from the photo is that what's happening is we are fleeing a Tureg takeover in Timbuktu where tourists had been killed. They were being brought to the rooftop of this hotel and evacuated by air. And we were driving across the Sahara to escape. We stopped once to pee, which we were told not to do, but we, I really had to do it. And so this was our like pee photo. <laughs> so anyway, what had happened was the night that we got into Timbuktu, it was really late. 
And so we were still sort of romantic dirtbags at the time, even though we were both healthcare professionals. And we're like, let's save money and like sleep on the boat because it's already so late. And then we'll just get up and go into town the next day. And so everybody's kind of winding down, you know, on the boat, you eat a shared meal. They grouped you up into like groups of like four or five and they serve you rice and some boiled eggs and occasionally some fish over the three days. So we had had dinner and we were winding down and then this guy gets on the boat and he's like, are there any Americans on the boat? And my husband and I are like, uh, I'm not sure who this guy is, and I'm not going to admit that we are, like, the only foreigners on this boat. Like, why is he asking that? And so what's awesome is, like, everybody else on the boat looked at us, and we're kind of hiding in this dark corner. No one says anything. Everybody's just super quiet. He's like, are there any Americans on this boat? And we're like, hmm. And he goes, I work for the government of Mali. We heard that two Americans got on this boat. There has been a rebel takeover in Timbuktu. And some tourists have been killed, and we need to evacuate you. You are safe. I am not a threat. I'm trying to help you. Please make yourselves known. And we're like, that would either be like a super clever thing to like get us to speak up if it was an actual person trying to kidnap us or something. So we're like, um, over here. <laughs> so the guy comes up and he's like, Okay, so here's what's happening. I've organized a way to evacuate. By the way, this is why you should fill out all that paperwork when you like check in at hostels or at um, ferries and things like fill out that shit because this is how he found us. Like we said, you know, when we checked in at a hostel, this is where we're going next. So anyway, he finds us and he goes, I've organized a Land Rover. By the way, one free was hundreds of dollars, but he said, I organized a Land Rover for you. It's going to leave first thing in the morning. Be ready. But in the meantime, get a good night's sleep. And we're like, okay, <laughs> get a good night's sleep, whatever. And no like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., set your alarm. He's just like first thing in the morning. So I'm like, what the fuck? Like what time are we even supposed to wake up? <laughs> Like, I don't know. We think of all these things after, of course. So then we come up with what to do in case someone comes on board in the meantime. So we put all our gear in. Uh, we had brought some garbage bags because we're in the desert, right? Like, it's not going to rain. But we had brought garbage bags, like, for emergency stuff. So we put our stuff in these garbage bags and tighten it because our plan was if someone came on board, we'd, like, stealthily, like, slip over the edge of the boat into the, like, hippopotamus and crocodile waters and then, like kind of sneak away to shore with our like little bags of stuff. So that, that was our plan. Apparently it sufficed because I was able to go to sleep. I was kind of shocked, but I think it was all the years of midwife training that was like, girl, you can get some sleep for 15 minutes. Go do it. This was before I had a child that totally messed up my sleep. So anyway, got to sleep, woke up at like first light, got our shit together, went out to the road, Land Rover came, and then we went. Anyway, Amazing adventure. Super bummed we didn't get to see Timbuktu, but makes for a good story, right? So more recently, I was reminded of other adventures. There was this limited series on Netflix called The Serpent. And I was like, what the hell is this about? And I'm actually super bummed that it's a limited series because it reminded me so much of my adventures in the Himalayas in the early 1990s. So for any of you who have ever experienced or wishes you had experienced the like trouncing about the Himalayas, um, the Himalayas, the nomad scene there, it's a great one. It's only eight episodes long too. 
And I'd started going there in 1992, and it was epic. Like, full-on scene still, even though I'm sure in the 70s it was even more so, which is when that series was set. But, like, 1992 was amazing. Still totally amazing. And admittedly, the series is a bit dark because it's based on a true story about a serial killer who preyed on people just like me, like a woman traveling on her own to go on a spiritual quest and climb some mountains, right? But when I was watching it, I was filled with total wanderlust and this appreciation that I trusted my spidey sense, right? My intuition. I went and I left weird situations when my body told me to. Like, There was a time on that trip in 1992 when I met some, or maybe it was a little later. I can't remember, maybe 1994. But anyway, I met some ridiculously good-looking Dutch travelers at this bar. And we were closing down the bar, which in Kathmandu doesn't mean like four in the morning. (laughs) Things close early there. But anyway, they were inviting me to an orgy. And even though they were like gorgeous and it was this very sexy scene, I kind of got this bad vibe. So when the the bar kicked us out, it was closing. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go after all. I I have a big day tomorrow. And so I'm just going to go home. So I started to walk away. And then this guy started following me. And if you've been in Kathmandu, you know shit pretty much closes down after like 10 o'clock, except for the really hopping nightclubs, like the tunnel. Do any of you remember that? (laughs) Anyway, so this guy's walking after me and I can hear his pace picking up. And he's like, hey, stop. And he's not like, hey, don't worry. It's okay. He's like, hey, stop. And I'm like, hey, please just go back. I want to go home. Then he starts running after me. So I start running. 101 reasons to be in shape, y'all. Anyway, then I start darting down these alleys and through the streets trying to lose him. And he's screaming, saying, hey, American. I said, stop. And eventually I do lose him. And I have no idea, no idea how darting through all of Kathmandu, being in the state of mind I was, I somehow found my way back to my little place I was staying. And I climbed the fence because it was after they had already locked the gate. So anyway, like, I think about all these times. And despite all the crazy near misses, like not just these things where I could have gotten caught up in the wrong scene, but also climbing adventures, like avalanches and, and whatnot. And I think about my own daughter, who's turning seven this month, and wanting her to have that same love and adventure and to have a willingness to do new and exciting things like I did. And to be honest, I kind of want her to have those near misses, but not the actual bad thing, right? I don't want her to actually get drug or caught in an avalanche because there's something that I learned so much through making good decisions and having come close to danger but evading it. So it made me think of how ultimately, you know, when I think about trying to protect her, we live thinking we have control. We do not. We are not, quote unquote, safe in the way that most people think. Safety to most people means nothing bad will happen to me, or even more so, I will not feel afraid. If I'm safe, it means I'm not feeling afraid. But here's the thing. Shit happens. Like the dude in the Netflix series, like bad people, bad scenes, right? And like nature, like shit, avalanches, things just happen. And we can do our best to deal with things when it does. But we cannot live life worried about the defecation hitting the oscillation. True safety lies within, within our own psyche. 
And that's because fear, that emotion that we want to avoid that makes us seek safety, is about a perceived danger. Sure, on the rare occasion there's real danger out there, like an avalanche or a stranger chasing you down a dark alley, but usually what we're afraid of is an emotion. We fear things like humiliation, failing, embarrassment, rejection, right? We may think it's about not getting the job, but really we fear the actual rejection because we could always apply for another one. We just don't want to feel rejected. We know that there are plenty of people out there that we could date, but we don't want to be rejected by this one person. And fear is the number one reason we don't do things we want to do. So think about that. The main reason we don't do things we want to do is because of fear, which is usually just about a perceived threat. So when our brains are justified in saying run like hell from the stranger in the alley or be a bit stressed when you are choosing to place a camp in this area with high avalanche danger, right? Usually it treats fear of emotion with the same gravity, like we are going to die, which of course we won't ever die of humiliation or rejection, even though it feels like we might. So instead, We try to shelter ourselves from any fear and perceived danger of threat, but that doesn't serve us. Like we can have a thorn in our foot, right? And we can try to protect ourselves from pain by building some kind of protection around it, like a box or a barrier around the thorn. So it won't get pushed or cause us pain, even though it still hurts and it's there. And we worry about it getting hit and planning all the ways it won't get hit and not hanging out with reckless people and only hanging out with people who move slowly and gently and mindfully. But you know what that's like? It's fucking exhausting. That's what that's like. Ask me how I know. That shit does not work, right? Trying to protect ourselves from all kinds of danger does not help us feel safer, even though our brains think it does. We think worry is so helpful. It's not. Action that is truly skillful and that will keep us safe We take that action from a place of calm and wisdom and groundedness, not worry or anxiety or fear. This is why I love what outdoor adventures have taught me and why I include an adventure of some sort on every retreat I lead. And I don't mean hikes. I mean something that gets the adrenaline going in a bigger way, like rock climbing or surfing, right? So in these experiences you learn it's not helpful to lose your shit when you're at the sharp end of the rope and you can take a big whipper. Like freaking out does not decrease your likelihood of falling on a rock climb, for example. In fact, it increases it. Like so many people will say to me, like, can I coach with you even though I'm not into the outdoors? Or like, do you require people to be super outdoorsy? (laughs) Or they'll say, Wow, you're just so brave. I could never rock climb or scuba dive or surf or kayak. But you know what? I was afraid of heights. So I started climbing and it became fun. I had almost drowned in the ocean as a kid. So I learned to surf so the ocean didn't scare me as much. I was afraid then of all the weird shit I'd feel touching my legs underwater when I was surfing in the Monterey Bay. And I imagine all kinds of creatures and freaky things. So I learned to scuba dive so I could see what was actually under there. So do you see a pattern here? It's walking towards the fear. This is what 
anybody does who is cultivating confidence. Not just me. Anybody who is cultivating confidence is walking towards the fear. It is intentionally coming face to face with it and feeling fear with courage, not hiding And in doing so over and over and over, that is how we build confidence. Not by protecting ourselves, but by intentionally going out there and building resilience and cultivating confidence. ZG, that radiant inner confidence. And by doing shit even though we're scared. When I worked for Outward Bound, I always loved the quote, ships are safe in harbor, but that is not what ships are built for. You are not built for the harbor, crazy human. That's why despite your fears, you always dream of overcoming them. You daydream about being able to do those things, wishing you had the courage and confidence. You were not meant to be in the harbor. So let's agree that we can be careful about real danger, real physical danger, but that most things are perceived threats, not actual threats to our life. Sure, there are threats to us feeling cozy, but we won't die of an emotion. Sure, I thought there were all kinds of things that would kill me underwater, but I learned that, sure, there are sharks, but that is such a low risk and there's so much beauty. That's what I discovered by facing my fear. In fact, then I went diving with sharks, not great whites, but with reef sharks in the Bahamas. I dove right into the middle of a cylinder of them swimming around. It was amazing. I thought I would die if I was on the ends of a precipice or on the edge of a precipice, but I learned I can do so safely with the right gear and with staying calm and with a partner I trusted, a climbing partner I trusted, and it became fun to be exposed to heights. Sure, there's a really real risk of drowning in certain situations, but by learning how to swim and becoming a strong swimmer, and how to read water and be safe in the ocean, that is what makes me feel safer, not avoiding ever going back in. So rebels, let's commit to stop trying to protect our thorns from getting hit. Let's pull out the damn thorn. Let's build up some calluses. Having a true sense of safety is about cultivating ZG, knowing you can handle what life comes your way. Those emotional, not callousness, but what it takes to not be afraid of a little bit of friction. And we do that by intentionally walking towards our fears. Now, you can do this by participating in adventures with, as we used to say in the guiding world, maybe they still say it, I guess, high sense of perceived threat, but low actual threat. So for example, I would guide clients on an exposed traverse with a steep drop-off, high perceived threat. But they're clipped in, double clipped in, right? With gear that was so redundant that they would be totally safe in a fall. Low actual threat. And remember, emotions perceived as threats They may feel like you'll die of humiliation or fear, but you won't. Those things we can practice every day on our own, doing things that scare us, feeling emotions that scare us, that might not even happen. They're just theoretical things that might happen. That's how you build your resiliency muscle. It's how you build true inner radiant confidence, ZG. I teach all my clients how to build resilience and how to live their truth and to take risks. This is like 
the whole thing that Freedom School's built around, right? Because look, sometimes through things out of our control, crazy shit happens. This is not a reason to avoid adventure. It is not a reason to avoid taking risks. It's not a reason to avoid taking action towards our dreams. Train, live, adventure, accept, survive, thrive. It is like this. So what's a perceived threat you have that isn't really a threat or danger to your physical safety? Remember, these emotional risks, they're not a true risk to our safety. So how can we walk closer to that today? Think of something specific. How can you walk closer to that today? How can you walk towards it even if just one step? Share it with me in the Rebel Buddhist Facebook group. I would love to hear about that. We have one precious life, Rebels. Go for it. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.